Welcome to the podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled Friend List from our series Friends. Lord, we love you. We bless you today. We thank you today, God. That, Lord, when others didn't see anything in us and times when we didn't see anything in ourselves, you looked in us and saw your own reflection. You redeemed us from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. You brought us back into your own family, restored us, made us your sons and daughters by faith in Christ. Lord, we rejoice. We celebrate that today. We thank you for it. Thank you for the confidence that's ours because of your blood. In Jesus' name, we celebrate it. We rejoice in it. We give thanks for it today, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. We give you praise. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You feel like you've been discarded. You feel as if you've been cast off by everyone and everything. You feel like you've been painted into a corner. You feel like you're living life in the dark. Like you've been shoved aside and forgotten about. And you wonder today if even your God remembers or knows where you are. Hear my voice today calling to you through the word and through every song that's sung. I know where you are. You are not so lost that I have not been able to find you. I've set my love on you. It has never left. Regardless of how you feel today, I am your God. I am with you. I am still for you. Now I've come today to rescue you. I've come to lift you out and to remind you of my love. I've come to reassure you of my favor and my grace in your life. Don't look at your circumstances. Remember the cross. Remember my blood. Remember the gift of my grace. It is enough to sustain you. My grace is sufficient for you. And my power will meet you in this weak place and cause you to stand and bring you out into the light again. Trust me. Trust me, says the Lord. Give the Lord praise today. <laughs> Lord, we pray today for whoever in this room, Lord, may be the recipient of that glad word. That, Lord, today, maybe here today, they've struggled to believe that they're yours, that you haven't forgotten them or cast them off. Lord, I thank you today for hitting the pause button in this service long enough to speak to their heart. Lord, every song this morning has said that to them and preached the gospel to them. And, Lord, I pray today that they would believe it. Lord, today, and remind us that it's not only those who believe it the first time who need to believe it, but it's those who've believed it all of our lives who need to be reminded of it and believe it again. We need to believe it again that the blood is enough, that the cross was sufficient, and that the grace of God is able to make us stand. And that on the days when we don't feel it, that the cross still stands stronger than our feelings, stronger than our emotions. 
much stronger than our circumstances and much greater than our sins and failures. Thank you for that great grace. We love it and we trust in it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. One more time, give him the best hand of praise. Amen. 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 You can be seated today. Our choir do a great job today leading us into the presence of the Lord. Thank you, team. Thank you, team. Amen. If you have your Bible, we're going to continue today. Proverbs 13 and 20 is the key text for this passage. Last week, we focused in on Proverbs 12, 26, and we talked about friends and that the Bible says the righteous should choose his friends carefully. Amen. Because the way of the wicked will lead them astray. This morning, we're going to look back. Proverbs 13 and 20 says, He who walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Amen. The Bible has a lot to say about what we become because of who we associate with. Amen. And we're going to talk about that today a little bit more. A wise man once said, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Amen. We become, for better or worse, the average of our five closest friends. We really do become what we hang around. As Pastor Craig Rochelle summarized, it's impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. If we want to live the right life, we need the right kind of friends. Amen. Last week, we spent much of our time talking and learning about what the Bible says about the wrong kind of friends and the kinds of people that we don't want to associate with or that we don't want to be part of our lives. The kinds of people who will pull us down and detract from the life that God's called us to live. And we talked about the fact that we might need to unfriend or even unfollow some people because of that kind of living. But this morning I want to answer the question the other way and that is, what kind of friends do we need in our lives? Who should we be attaching to? What kind of people should we be connecting with and inviting into the deepest parts of our life? And I want to tell you the Bible is also very clear, I believe, on that. And one of the clearest ways that we see it, I think, is an example of a great man of God that we find in the Old Testament. What kinds of people does the Bible commend to us as good friends? In a survey of over 40,000 Americans, people were asked, what do you look for in a friend? What are the top three qualities that you're looking for in someone to bring into your life? And they said, number one, the ability to keep confidences. Someone who that you can share things with and they won't run their mouth about it. Confidentiality. Number two, loyalty. Someone who will stay with you through thick and thin, who will walk in and stay there when everybody else seems to abandon. And number three, warmth and affection. Someone who just loves you. Someone who gets you and likes you and is willing to stay with you. And they are kind-hearted to you no matter what's happening around you. Confidence, loyalty, affection, those are three great qualities in a friend. And I want to tell you today, nowhere in the Bible do we get any clearer account of this kind of friendship than what we find in the life of a man named David. King David had some friends. And I want to tell you, if anybody proves to me that your friends will either make you or break you, it is this man named David and walking through his story in the life of the Old Testament. So I want to pick up three friends and three passages that describe the friendship as we walk through that today. Are you tracking with me? Say amen. Amen. Start in 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's the beginning of David's story, and we find his first friend, and his first friend is a man named Samuel. Samuel is a prophet. 
Two of these guys are going to be prophets, amen, that we talk about today. And the first one is a man named Samuel. And Samuel is found in 1 Samuel 16, and we meet him in verse 1. And this is how his story comes to us. 1 Samuel 16 and 1 says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed who stands here before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. Amen. Amen. I like that verse. I'm going to put that verse in my office, Tony. Amen. I love that verse. Amen. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. The Lord looks at the heart. Verse 8, Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Verse 9, Jesse then had Shammah pass before him. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? His wife was probably saying, Lord, isn't that enough? Amen. I mean, there's seven right there. There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, who is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him, and when he had brought him in, he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said to him, Rise and anoint him, this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David, and Samuel then went to Ramah. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Lord, bless us who've gathered because we love you. Strengthen me as I preach. Lord, nail to our hearts and seal to our, our countenances this morning the Word of God. And may we not forget what you teach us by the Spirit and the Word. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to tell you today, the first kind of friend every Christian needs in his or her life is a friend who will call him up. Say that with me. Call him up. You need somebody that will call you up higher. We need friends that call us up. And we find that here in this passage. We find a friend like that. No one in David's family could see in David what Samuel saw in David. No one could see in him what Samuel saw. They all looked at him honestly as the, the young man, and he wasn't even worth inviting to the audition for the king. Amen? I mean, here they are passing all these kids in front of Samuel, and they're just so sure that David is not going to be the one, they don't even invite him to the tryouts. That's pretty bad, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to try out and be rejected. It's another thing not to even get invited to try out, right? I mean, that's how low down the totem pole David is in his own family. They don't esteem him. They don't consider him. He's young and he's ruddy and a fair appearance. And the NIV says that sort of like it's a compliment. It probably wasn't. It probably meant he was so young and ruddy that he hadn't even started shaving yet. And so he has a fine appearance, all right? He has a baby face is what he has. He's young. He, he hasn't even really uh, come into manhood yet. He, he's, he's probably 12 or 13, maybe, maybe younger. We don't know for sure. But here he is, and he isn't esteemed by his family at all. 
Maybe you have felt like that before. Maybe you have looked around at your life and said, you know what, everyone has counted me out. No one esteems me. No one thinks that I am capable or able to do anything. No one has high expectations of me in my life. No one really believes or has confidence that I'm going to do anything or amount to anything. Everyone's sort of written me off as a lost cause. No one seems to be willing to invest in me. No one looks at me and sees anything of value. You may be there today. Well, I want to tell you, you are in good company because David could have said the same thing about himself as a young man. He was the bottom man on the ladder and no one esteemed him or considered him. His own family could never imagine him becoming king of Israel. You can really tell this by the way his brothers treat him. A a few verses later, when he shows up to bring food to the battlefront, He's still keeping the same old pesky sheep out in the wilderness and his brothers get to go to the battle because they're a fighting age. And the Bible says Jesse sends David with some food and supplies and rations to give to the army and he shows up there and he goes to deliver the food and he checks in on his brothers to make sure they're doing okay and they treat him horribly when he shows up. It's a wonder David didn't spit in their goat cheese, amen? But the Bible tells us in chapter 17, verse 28, when he shows up and he's asking these questions, Eliab, his older brother, says to him, he says, his anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. You've come down to see the battle. In other words, you're just a little brat and you've, came down, you've come down here to see some action. You're up to no good. You've probably abandoned your post that Father left you in the wilderness. Why don't you get back to doing that little job that doesn't matter anyway? That's what he was saying to him. Eliab is trying to put David in his place. And this is even after he's been anointed king. Amen? Listen, it doesn't matter. Even though Samuel has come and poured the oil on his head, his brothers still don't believe it, and they still don't see it, and they still don't think it'll ever happen. I want to tell you something. It doesn't matter. You, there are some people who are just never going to see the good in you. Do you hear me? There are some people that are never going to believe in you. There are some folks that are never going to be convinced either because of who you are or what you've done or where you came from or your birth order in the family or what side of the tracks you grew up on or something. They're always going to have some reason to disregard you and write you off. But thank God there was a man named Samuel who passed by David's life and looked at him with spiritual eyes instead of natural eyes and saw something in him that nobody else could see. Everybody needs a friend like that. Amen? We need people who can look at us and see more than just what's on the outside. We need people who can look into our lives and by the eyes of faith and through the Spirit of God see gifting and potential and anointing and calling in us. You need friends in your life who will call you up. Say call you up. You need some people in life who will do that to you today. You need someone who can see what God placed in you. Samuel didn't care that David was from a small village in Bethlehem. Samuel didn't care that he came from a a poor family of humble means. Samuel didn't write him off because of his size, his youth, or his appearance. Samuel's judgment was based on one thing alone. What did God have to say about David? And I want to tell you, you need somebody who can look into your life and listen with the ear of the Spirit and say, I'm going to believe what God says about you. And I'm going to believe what God says is in you. And I'm going to call potential up in you. And I'm going to call you up to a higher place. 
You need friends like that in your life. If somebody's always tearing you down, they're not your friend. Amen? And you need to stop hanging around with them. There was the old story about uh, an eagle egg that accidentally got dropped and rolled into a, a chicken coop one day. And he, there he was one day and he hatched out and he was raised by the mother hen and he scratched around on the ground like a chicken and he ate worms like a chicken. And one day he looked up and saw these mighty eagles flying overhead and he thought, my goodness, I wish I could do that. But he never did because he never believed he could. Because he always believed because he was in a chicken coop that he was a chicken. He never realized that he could have popped his wings anytime he wanted to and mounted to the heavens because it was in him all the time. Sometimes who you're around will mess you up. And if you're around people that only point out the bad and the negative and talk down to you and speak doubt and unbelief and words of death and discouragement over your life and you believe that, it doesn't matter that you're born again and full of the Holy Ghost. You'll never live into your potential because you don't believe that it's there. And you'll never live up to what God has for you if people are always around you speaking death into your life. Amen. You've got to separate yourself from, from folks like that and you need some Samuels in your life. I am who I am and where I am today largely because of the influence of a godly Samuel in my life. When I was a young man, I was 12 years old and the Lord brought a man named Greg Shambly into my life. Greg pastors the Church of God over in the Mississippi Delta right now. And he's probably the main reason I'm in the ministry and in the Church of God today is because of the influence of Greg. When I was 12 years old, Greg would come by our little church and he would preach. And he would pick me up and take me to revivals with him. And I'd play the piano and sing and he would preach. And then whenever I began to wrestle with whether or not I was called to the ministry or not, I didn't know for sure. And I just kept saying, Lord, I just want you to confirm this through somebody that I trust. The same Bible verse God had been using to call me in the ministry out of Revelation 1. I sat in his car one day and he turned around and he said, The Lord said to say to you that he will open doors for you that no man can shut and he will shut doors that no man can open. And God used him and two other men that week to confirm my call to ministry and that I was indeed called to preach the gospel of Jesus. And I began to go with him. We started out by tag team preaching. He'd preach a little and I would preach a little. And we'd swap out back and forth. And then I'd play for his altar call. Amen? And then he said, one day he looked up and I was getting more phone calls to preach than he was. Amen? I, I don't know. I, 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 didn't, I didn't have anything to do with that. He didn't get jealous over that. He rejoiced over that. He said, you see, God really has called you to do this. And he's, he's opening doors for you like he said that he would. When I always thought I'd be an evangelist and I wanted to have a great team that sang music and traveled and preached the gospel. That's what I thought my, God's will for my life was going to be. And I always said, Lord, I'll do anything but pastor. That's the one way to end up doing it right there. Just tell God that you won't do it. Amen. You'll end up doing it. And I was, in, I was at Ole Miss and I was in my last year of school there and I led a young man to the Lord. And my, my BSU director, my Baptist Student Union director, pulled me aside and I, I introduced him. And I said, this is David and I've led him to the Lord and he needs to be discipled. And um, Keith Kading looked back at me and he said, well, that's wonderful. Why don't you disciple him this year? And I said, no, man, that's your job. That's, that's what they pay you to do. You need to disciple him. No, no, no. You led him to the Lord. You disciple him and teach him how to walk with the Lord. You need to meet with him once a week, every week. You need to teach him how to study the Bible. You need to teach him how to pray. You need to make sure he gets in church. You need to hold him accountable to live for God and find out what his gifts are and let him start plugging them in. And I said, that sounds like a lot of work. He said, well, children are a lot of work. and You just led somebody to the Lord, and now you've got to raise them up in the Lord. And he pushed on me, and I discipled David that year. 
And David ended up playing on my praise band and ended up going on to be a youth pastor somewhere. David did okay, amen. I didn't, I didn't mess him up. That's always good, right? Just like the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm, right? Every preacher ought to have to take that oath too. If you can't help them, don't hurt them, amen. Just do no harm and you'll be okay. Well, I didn't hurt him, I guess. I helped him and he went on. But as a result of that year, something shifted in my own heart. And I began to wrestle with the question, what would happen if instead of preaching in a different place every week, you went somewhere and got still and invested 10, 15, 20, 30 years of your life with the same group of people? What would happen? What would happen if you just got still and just tried to help people live for Jesus where they were? And that caught fire in my heart. And the Lord began to shift my heart and give me the call to pastor and the desire to pastor. And I knew that. And lo and behold, that summer I walked in to Greg Shambly's house and he called me and I was on my way through there and he said, stop, I've got a suit that I think you might could wear. I've outgrown it. That happens in the church of God too, by the way. You tend to outgrow your suits, right? And uh, he said, I've got a suit I think you might could wear. And I came in and he wasn't trying to be spooky or weird or spiritual or anything. He honestly wanted to give me a suit. And I came in and he, he slipped the coat on me and the coat was a little bit too long. It hit me about right here, and it wasn't quite right in the shoulders. He's a little taller and broader than I was. And, um, and he looked at me, and Greg started crying, and I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in that room. And he looked at me, and he said, When did the Lord shift your calling? I said, About six months ago. He said, The Lord's called you to pastor, hasn't he? And I said, Yes, he has. And he looked at the coat, and he said, It doesn't fit now, but it's going to fit just fine. It's going to fit just fine. The Lord's called you, and you're not ready yet, but you'll grow into it. And when the time's right, God will slide you right into that spot where you lead him, Pastor. What happened? God sent a Samuel into my life who didn't look at anything except, what does the Holy Spirit say to me when I look at you? He was willing to hear in the, in the Spirit. He's willing to look by faith and call things out of me and call me up to a place that I never dreamed or thought that I could or would be. You need somebody in your life like that. You need a Christian in your life who will be a Samuel to you, who will look at you and not look at your circumstances and not get hung up on your past and not get hung up on where you are right now, but who can look at you by faith and say, I believe God has something for you. I believe he's got a plan for you. I believe there's potential in your life. The reason some of us are still stuck where we are is honestly because of who we're hanging around. We're allowing people to speak into our lives. We're allowing them to, 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 to speak words of discouragement and doubt over us, and we're believing that, and we're drinking the Kool-Aid, and we're living right up to what they say about us. And the problem is, we need some people who will speak prophetically over us, who will speak God's word over us, and who will believe that we can be and do more than we're doing right now. Amen. We need some people like that. Greg would look at me and he would say, like Samuel, the Lord looks on the outward appearance, not on the outward appearance, but on the heart. He would look at me and pr he'd pray for me and he would say, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Do not say, I am a youth. You will go to who I send you and whatever I command you, you will speak. He would say, like Paul said to Timothy, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believer in every part of your life. Greg called me up higher. He spoke what he saw in the Spirit when other people looked at the natural. He called things that were not as though they were. He spoke what God said about me instead of what everybody else saw about me. Some of us are listening to, our, to the people that the enemy has assigned to our lives. Some of us are listening to people that the devil planted in your life to keep you right where you are. 
He says you're nobody and that you won't amount to anything. He says you're just like your father or your mother. He says you'll never finish school. You'll never earn your degree. You'll never land a job. You'll never find someone who will love you. He reminds you of your past sins and mistakes. He says you'll never get past it. He says you'll never live it down. He reminds you what others did to you and says you'll never recover from it. He paints a dark, fearful picture of your future. You need a godly friend. You need a Christian prophet. You need a Samuel who will step into your life and say, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of good and not of evil. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. If you change friends, you can change your life. If you keep lying down with dogs, you'll keep getting up with fleas. Amen. Stop hanging out with people who are not going anywhere, doing anything, and have settled to live on the leftovers of other people's charity. Get yourself in God's house. Find some friends who won't judge you based on the outside, but who will get to know your heart, and so they can see in you what God sees in you. Surround yourself with people who can stop looking at your past and see your future, and who will see what God says and say what God says about you. Get some friends who will call you up. Say, call you up. Number two, you need some friends who will call you out. Say, call you out. The second story that we find about David that I want you to look at is in 1 Samuel chapter 23. This is quite a few years later. David is a grown man now. David is a military, uh, he's a military champion now. He's a hero now to his people. He's won many battles. In fact, his fame and his recognition has surpassed that of King Saul. And as a result of that, he's gotten in a little bit of political trouble because now everybody uh, loves him more than they do Saul. He's more popular than Saul. And Saul senses that, and Saul comes after him and decides he's going to take him out, and he's going to eliminate him as a threat to his throne and as a threat to his son Jonathan inheriting the throne after him. But the problem was... Saul had a son named Jonathan, and Jonathan wasn't jealous of David. Jonathan didn't hate David. In fact, just the opposite. Jonathan became David's best friend. Jonathan loved David. He adored him, and he knew he was going to be the next king, and he didn't care. He said, I know that the Lord's going to raise you up to be the king next. I'm not going to be the next king. You are. And even though he could see that in him, it didn't make him jealous. He loved him and said, and I'm going to be right by your side, and I'm going to help you every step of the way. Wow. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 23, verse 15, So David saw, David saw that Saul came out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Say that with me. He strengthened his hand in God. He said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods. Jonathan went back to his own house. The tale of Jonathan and David is probably the, the, the best story of friendship in the entire Old Testament. It's beautiful to me. It is one of my favorites. The Bible tells us um, that they were so close that they loved one another as if they were one person. The Bible says that. You know, an old saying says, prosperity begets friends, but adversity proves them. Amen. That's true. The Bible says a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. You know you've got a friend when you have someone who shows up when everybody else walks out. Amen? 
you know you've got a friend when trouble starts happening, and there they are. One guy said, a friend in need is a friend indeed. Ken Mosley told me yesterday that he heard a friend in need was a pest. <laughs> he didn't like being in need. He liked being on the other side of that. But right now he's in need, and he's very grateful for our friendship. Amen? Here we are, but you prove your friends when trouble comes. Amen? Adversity proves our friendships. Amen. Immediately after David killed Goliath, he and Jonathan became friends. Chapter 18 says, when he'd finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go to his own father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Saul became jealous of David and resented him. When God puts his hand on your life, there are people that won't like you. When you begin to come out of where you are, you'll lose friends. Amen? Can I tell you that? There are people who will be your friend whenever you're down in the dumps, but when you start to improve and your life starts to get better, they'll turn on you. Amen. You start to pull away and they say, oh, you think you're better than me. No, I'm not better than you. I'm just not going to live on drugs like you for the rest of my life. Amen. You leave the club, you leave the bar, and they'll turn on you. Oh, you think you're better than us. You found religion and you can't hang out with us anymore. I'm not better than you and I'm not turning on you. I just don't want to end up on where the road leads that you're on. And I decided to take an exit ramp and you're welcome to take it with me. Amen? In fact, I want you to. Come on and go with me. I'm not going to go with you, but you're welcome to come go with me. Oh, no, no. You think you're somebody now. You think you're better than everybody else. You're too good for us now. No, I'm not too good. I just don't want to end up where you're headed. Amen? They'll turn. That's, well, look at this. Some people cannot handle it when God blesses you. Here they are. David, here he is. When God puts his hand on him, people get jealous. Some people who used to be your friend will suddenly become your enemy. Don't despair when God shows you the true colors of other people. Don't get discouraged when God purges your friend list and takes the fake ones out of your life. He's nothing changed. He's just showing you who they really are. Amen. It's better you know it now than you know it later. Amen. Lord, help us. Like Samuel, Jonathan can sense the hand of the Lord on David's life. He's aware of David's destiny. David's destined for the throne. Everyone knows that Jonathan is next in line, but David knows it, Saul knows it, Samuel knows it, and Jonathan knows it. David's going to be the next man on that throne. And in spite of turning, instead of turning against him, Jonathan backs David. It's not about you, and Jonathan knew this. It's not about you. It's about what God has planned for you. Saul walks after the flesh. He only cares about himself and his own agenda. But Jonathan walks in the Spirit. He's he knows that God has chosen David, so Jonathan's going to support David, even if it cost him his future or his life. That is a true blue friend. I want to tell you, you know your friends because they'll catch you on the way down. But you also know your friends because they won't leave you on the way up. Did you hear me? They won't leave you on the way up. They stay with you. They don't care about the externals. They just love you and they're going to be committed to you. So adversity and prosperity will both help you determine who your friends really are. The friends are the people who aren't affected by either one of them. They just stay. They're just loyal. 
David is living between the announcement and the fulfillment of his destiny. He's been anointed king, but he hadn't been crowned king yet. He's stuck in the middle. If you look at his outward circumstances, it looks like he's going anywhere but the direction that has been prophesied over his life. He's living in a cave in the wilderness. He's running for his life. He's hiding from King Saul who's trying to murder him. I can only imagine that the devil would get in the cave with him at night and replay the old messages that his brothers used to speak over him when he was a little boy. David, who do you think you are? David, do you really believe that that old crazy prophet who poured oil on your head knew what he was talking about? Come on, David, certainly you don't believe this. You know that that crown is going to Saul's son, Jonathan. There is no way in the world you're ever going to be the king. Look at you. You're nowhere near the king. You can't even live in the capital city, much less run the capital city. You're out here in the woods. Who are you now? You should just give this thing up. This is never going to happen for you. You're nothing special. Your dreams won't amount to anything. You're not who you think you are. You're a nobody. In the middle of this harsh physical trial, mental anguish, and emotional turmoil, God sends a friend named Jonathan. And Jonathan walks in, and Jonathan calls him out. Say, calls him out. Jonathan comes up to the cave and says, Hey, David, are you in there? And he's like, Yes. He's like, Come out here. No. <laughs> yes, come out here. I don't want to. Come out here anyway. I'm scared. Nobody's going to hurt you. I want you to come out here. I've got to talk to you. Come out here in the daylight and let me talk to you. And David walks out, and Jonathan meets him there. And the Bible says Jonathan strengthened his hand in God. Jonathan looked at him, and Jonathan spoke life back into him. Jonathan calls his friend out of his fear. He says, do not fear. The hand of my father Saul will not be able to find you. He encourages him. He says to him next, he reminds him of his destiny. He reminds him of the prophetic word that was spoken over his life. My father's not going to kill you. He's not going to find you. You're not destined for the graveyard. God knows it. I know it and my daddy knows it you will be the next king over Israel the prophetic word God spoke over your life God hasn't forgotten about it it's still going to come to pass it may be a long time coming hang in there David God has still got you and God's still going to do everything that he promised to do to you and you can feel David you can see him almost going from this position and then he begins to straighten his back and he begins to square his shoulders and he begins to raise his head and it's like Jonathan is literally speaking life back into David and David courage comes back and his confidence comes back and his hope rallies and his faith renews and Jonathan helped David find his strength in God again and I want to tell you every Christian sooner or later is going to hit a moment where they need a Jonathan to come walking into their life you know God's word you have a relationship with God moments in life when life is just so hard and the trial is just so tough and the circumstances are just so difficult that you begin to doubt and you begin to waver and you begin and you begin to question, is God really going to do what he said? Are the promises of God really true? Is he really going to bring me out of this? Am I going to make it? Am I going to ever reach the destination I'm headed for? And in that moment, I want to tell you the greatest thing God can give you is a friend who will walk in your life and look at you and say, don't you dare believe the lies of the enemy. Let me remind you what God says. And they can speak God's word and remind you of God's promises. And they can help you find your strength in God again. Thank God for Jonathan's. Amen. May their tribe increase. 
Every Christian needs a Samuel who will call you up and you need a Jonathan who will call you out of your fear and out of your doubt and out of your discouragement and say to you, God still loves you, God still got you and God still got this and you're going to make it and I'm going to stand here until you do. I'm going to be with you through this, David. I'm going to get you through this. I've always been your friend. I'm still going to be your friend. He helped him regain a grip on his hope in God. He breathed on the dying embers of his smoldering faith. He shone the light of friendship into David's lonely world, and it changed everything. Hmm. George Eliot once wrote, Oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but to pour them all out just as they are, chaff and grain together, knowing that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keeping what is worth keeping, and then with the breath of kindness blow the rest away. Thank God for friends like that. Friends that you can just be honest with and say, let me tell you what I'm feeling. Let me tell you what I'm going through. Let me tell you what the enemy is saying to me. Let me tell you what's in my mind right now. And then they can come and take your thoughts and they can separate the chaff from the grain and they can blow away the fear and blow away the doubt, and blow away the discouragement, and just leave you with the kernel, the truth of God's promises. Oh, thank God for Jonathan's. Amen? When times are tough, you need somebody like that. Friends who will strengthen your hands in God, who will remind you of His promises, and stay with you till it happens. Who's your Jonathan? Let me ask it another way. More importantly, to whom are you called to be Jonathan this week? Everybody's looking for Jonathan. How about we decide we're going to be Jonathan? Why do we always have to be David in the story? Amen. Who do you think you are? Amen. Why do you got to be the center of the story? God will send you a Jonathan when you need one. The better question is, who are you called to be Jonathan to this week? I want to tell you, you don't have to look far in the Forest Hill Church of God right now to find some people who are in the middle of some pretty hard, difficult trials. And what they need most from us right now, more than anything else, is for us to call or write a card or drive up in their driveway and walk in and do what Jonathan did to David, to walk in and say, I know this is hard. I know this is tough. But I, God sent me to tell you he hadn't forgot about you. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. And God's not going to leave God sent me to remind you today that his promises are true. He's with you. He's never going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. And I just wanted to grab you by the hand today and pray with you. Can I just pray with you standing in your driveway? I want to tell you the best thing we could do for the Forest Hill Church this week is walk out of this room and say, I'm going to be Jonathan to somebody this week. I challenge you to do that. Somebody around you needs a Jonathan. Go speak life to them. We need friends that will call us up and friends that will call us out of our fear. <laughs> On one occasion, Peppermint Patty in the Charlie Brown episode was talking to Marcy. She said, I'd like to read this book, Marcy, but I'm kind of afraid. I had a grandfather who didn't think too much of reading. He said, if you read too much, your head would fall off. And Marcy said, I tell you what, you start with the first chapter and I'll hold on to your head. <laughs> a friend is somebody who helps you hold on to your head. Because I want to tell you, there's enough stuff that will happen to you in life, you'll lose your head, amen? And a friend holds on to your head for you. <laughs> They get your head screwed back on straight. They remind you of what's true, and they call out what is just fear and lies of the enemy, and they help you sift it. Lastly, and I'm done, we need friends who will call us down. Say that with me. Friends who will call us down. Now, this is the hard one. This is the one nobody likes. This is the one that nobody wants to be or have in their life. But David would not have survived the roughest patch of his life had he not had a friend named Nathan. 
The Bible tells us about David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. The Bible tells us, you know the story, David, he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. He should have been out with his men fighting the battle, but he was back home and he got bored. And being bored is never a good thing for a man. He abdicated his place of responsibility. That's a whole other sermon. He was somewhere he shouldn't have been and he saw something he shouldn't have seen. And he allowed his heart to get away from him. And the next thing you know, David has committed an unspeakable sin. He has brought another man's wife to his bedchamber. He has taken her as if she were his own. And to cover up the sin, once she becomes pregnant, he has her husband assassinated by putting him on the front line of the battle and having the rest of the troops withdraw from him so that he falls by the sword. His name was Uriah. Her name was Bathsheba. You know the story. He brings Bathsheba to his house once Uriah is killed, makes her one of his wives, and everything seems to be rocking on and no one is any the wiser. Except there is a God in Israel who knows exactly what David's done, and God reveals it to a prophet named Nathan, and Nathan has to make a decision. Am I going to take my life in my hands? Am I going to risk my life by walking in and confronting the king? Am I going to speak truth to power? Or am I just going to lay low and say, well, man, that's horrible. I hate that happened. <laughs> I want to tell you, you really know you've got a friend when they're willing to risk their relationship with you to tell you the truth. You know you found a real friend when they're willing to risk their relationship with you to look you in the face and tell you what is true. Nathan goes walking in. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said, Tells him a story. There were two men in a city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished. It grew up together with him and his children. It ate his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his lap. It was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare for the wayfaring man who'd come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb killed it, cooked it, and prepared it as a meal for the man who'd come to stay with him. David's anger roused against the man and said to David, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing and had no pity. Then Nathan looked at David and said, You are the man. You are the man who did this. You did it. You could have had any woman in Israel you wanted and you went and took Uriah's wife and you had him murdered to cover up the crime. The Bible says that David confesses his sin and says, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan helps him get things right with God, tells him what's about to happen, what his future is going to look like now, but assures him, you will not die. The Lord has heard your prayer and the Lord has had mercy on you. He comes to him and not only does he call him down on his sin, but he presents God's mercy and tells him, maps for him the way out and how he's going to get back on track again. Thanks be to God for some friends like that. A lot of people will walk out of your life when you mess up. But you know you found a friend when they walk into your life and you've messed up. Do you hear me? You know you found a friend when they'll walk into your life when you just made the worst mistake of your life. The people who will show up and instead of judging you and criticizing you, will honestly call you out on it. They won't let you off the hook. But yet they'll get in there with you and say, I'm going to walk you through this. I'm going to call a spade a spade. We're going to talk about what really happened. We're going to get to the bottom of this. But then I'm going to help you put the pieces back together again. You need a friend like that. 
the old Jewish proverb says, a friend is one who warns you. Say that with me. A friend is one who warns you. You need friends that will call you up to a higher place. Friends that will call you out of fear. But you need friends that will call you down when you mess up royally. A true friend will tell you that your breath stinks. Amen? You need a friend who will say, I love you, but you need this mint, right? Amen? Don't go into this job interview till you chew this gum. Amen? That's a friend. A dear friend of mine one day walked into um, our church she slipped out to go to the restroom because of some kids that she was having to manage and take care of. And in the course of being in there, she used the restroom and came back out and did not realize that she had tucked her dress into the back of her pantyhose. She came back down and was sitting on about the second row of the church, and we were standing and singing. And three hymns later, she catches some kid snickering at her and looks over and finally realizes something's right and somebody's pointing. And she reaches back and realizes her wardrobe malfunction. Amen. Slipped out to the bathroom, fixed her wardrobe malfunction, came back in and told me later, I must not have a friend in this entire building. <laughs> because surely somebody would have told me. Amen? We were at camp meeting one night, and that happened to a pastor's wife. And she looked at me and said, do I tap her on the shoulder and tell her? And I said, do you love her at all? Yes. <laughs> yes. You have to tell her, right? Amen. Everybody needs a Nathan. Say a Nathan. We all need friends who will encourage us when we're down, but will also correct us when we're wrong. Proverbs 27, 5, open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You don't need people in your life who will just always tell you that you're wonderful. You need people in your life who will also wound you and hurt you and cut you deep when they need to and tell you the truth about what you are and who you are and what you're doing in your life. You need friends who will call you out. Listen, David learned the hard truth that the higher up you go, the harder it is to find anyone who will tell you the truth. Everyone flatters you to stay in your good graces. They won't speak truthfully for fear of offending you. Our culture has made it much harder. The only value we have left is tolerance. No one feels they have the right to call anybody out on anything anymore because we don't want to offend anyone. Yet at the beginning of our movement and the holiness movement, we were very clear about one thing, and that is we love you enough to confront you about your sin. We love you enough to call you down if you're doing something wrong because we love you too much to watch you make a train wreck out of your life without telling you and warning you of what you're doing before you do it. Amen. Friends don't let friends go to hell. And friends don't let friends wreck their lives without warning them about what they're doing. Friends will call you out. Remember the proverb, a friend is one who warns you. Say it with me. A friend is one who warns you. The beginning of the Methodist movement, John Wesley built a, a group of people called the band meeting. And the bands met at least once a month. And they would ask one another questions. And the questions were pretty amazing. I've never been part of a small group in my life that was willing to do this and ask one another these questions. I probably never will be. John Wesley said this. Before you could even join the group, this is what they ask you. Number one, the forgiveness of your sins. Are you a Christian? Number two, have you peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? Number three, have you the witness of God's Spirit with your spirit that you're a child of God? Number four, is the love of God shed abroad in your heart? Basically just trying to determine, before we let you into this discipleship group, are you a Christian, right? Number five, has no sin, inward or outward, dominion over you? Are you still in the grip of some habit or addiction? We want to know that on the front end. If you are, we'll still let you in, but we're going to help you get over that. We're not going to let you just stay in that, amen? But here's where the list gets really good. Number six, 
Do you desire to be told of your faults? Ouch. Number seven, do you desire to be told of all your faults and that plain and home? In other words, straightforward, barefaced, we're just not going to cut you any slack. Do you want us to tell you exactly what we see in your life? Number eight, do you desire that every one of us should tell you from time to time whatever is in his heart concerning you? Do I have permission to tell you straight out what I think about you in your life right now? Woo! Number nine, consider, <laughs> I love the warning, don't you? Consider, <laughs> be sure before you sign up. Here's the fine print. Do you desire we should tell you whatsoever we think, whatsoever we fear, whatever we hear concerning you? Number 10, do you desire that in doing this we should come as close as possible, that we should cut to the quick and search your heart to the bottom? Number 11, is it your desire and design to be on this and all other occasions entirely open so as to speak everything that is in your heart without exception, without disguise, and without reserve? In other words, are you going to answer the searching questions that we answer you honestly without trying to cover anything up? You say, man, I don't know if I want to be part of a group like that or not. Well, you couldn't be a Methodist. You hear me? I want to tell you something. There comes a moment in our lives where we have to decide, do I really want to grow or not? The reason most of us don't want a friend like this is the same reason nobody at Weight Watchers wants to step up on the scale every week, right? Because it doesn't matter what you say, when you step up, the numbers don't lie. And it's easy for us to come to church and say, oh, I'm okay, I'm doing good, yeah, I love the Lord, things are going well in my life. But it's quite another thing to open your life up to a group of friends who will look you in the face and ask you tough questions once in a while. I have a friend in my life, and I emailed him a list of questions, and I said, every time we meet for coffee, I want you to ask me three or four questions off this list, and I don't ever know which ones you're going to ask me. You hear me? Accountability. We need that in our lives. Chuck Swindoll meets with a group of people every week, and they ask him, have you been with a woman anywhere this past week that might have been seen as compromising? Have you, in any of your financial dealings, lacked integrity? Have you exposed yourself to any sexually explicit material? Have you spent adequate time in Bible study and prayer? Have you given priority time to your family this week? Have you fulfilled the mandates of your calling? And number seven, have you just lied to me? Oh, I love that one. <laughs> Are you telling me the truth? Look me in my face. Did you just lie to me about any of these? We need some friends who will speak to us plainly what they see in our lives. We need some friends who will start digging around and asking tough questions when they get suspicious that something just doesn't smell right about our lives. We need some friends that we've given permission to to step into our lives and speak exactly what they fear, what they hear, and what they think about where we are. Why? Because we've all got blind spots. And sometimes if you don't have a Nathan in your life who will put their finger in your collar and say, you are the man, you are the woman, you are messing up, fella. If we don't have somebody that will call us down, we'll end up in great trouble. Do you have a friend like that? Do you want a friend like that? Have you had to be a friend like that? The kind of friend is definitely a first chair friend. Do you have any Nathans in your life who will call you down if you slip up as a Christian? Is there anyone you've trusted enough to bring up to speed about the true spiritual state of your life who regularly meets with you to ask you tough questions? Do you have anybody you can be honest with and they won't despise you for your weaknesses. They won't commend you for your strengths. But they will genuinely walk with you and hold you accountable to be who God's called you to be. Stand with me all over the Lord's house.
Raymond Biron once said this, Friends are people with whom you dare to be yourself. Your soul can be naked with them. They ask you to put on nothing, only to be what you are. You to be better or worse. When you are with them, you feel as a prisoner feels when he's been declared innocent. You do not have to be on your guard. You can say what you think as long as it is genuinely you. Friends understand those contradictions in your nature that lead others to misjudge you. With them, you breathe freely. You can avow your little vanities and envies and hates and vicious sparks, your meanness and absurdities in opening up to them as friends. They are lost, dissolved on the wide ocean of their loyalty. They understand. You do not have to be careful. You can abuse them, neglect them, tolerate them. Best of all, you can keep still with them and it doesn't matter. They like you. They are like fire that purges you to the bone. They understand you. They can weep with you, sing with you, laugh with you, pray with you. Through it all, underneath, they see, know, and love you. A friend, what is a friend? Just, I repeat, one with whom you dare to be yourself. Do you have anybody in your life as a Christian with whom you don't feel the pressure to pretend everything is okay? That's what I'm asking you. Are there any Christians that you have in your life that you know beyond all doubt you can let your guard down, you can drop your walls, you can put down the pretense, you can take off the mask, and you can just sit across from them with a cup of coffee, and you can open up your true heart, and you can say the truth about whatever you're thinking, feeling, or going through. And you know that they will not judge you and walk away for it, They also won't flatter you and tell you it's okay if you're screwing up. They'll hold your feet to the fire, tell you you know better and you ought to be doing better. But most of all, they will grab your hand and say, I'm going to walk with you through this. No matter how long it takes, I am deeply, loyally, jealously committed to you. A friend was born for for trouble, a brother for adversity. A friend loves at all times. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Can I tell you something? The first friend you'll find like that is the Lord Jesus. Do you hear me? If you're in this room and you don't feel like you have one friend, I want to remind you of the message in tongues and interpretation the Lord sent to this church a few moments ago. It doesn't matter where you are, what you've done, or how dark the cave you're living in is. You have a friend today. And his name is Jesus. And you can bring your heart to him just as it is. And you can dump the laundry basket of what you're going through out in the middle of the floor and he'll help you sort through it today. And you don't have to pretend with him. You don't have to sugarcoat it with him. You can be raw and honest and real and genuine in his presence. And you can lay it out before him. And he will help you. He will not abandon you. He will not discard you over anything that you say. He wants you to be honest. You can be honest with Jesus today. But can I tell you secondly today, it is the will of God that you have some people with skin on in your life who are also that way by you and you find them by getting deeply involved in the life of a good church. Some of you may attend on Sunday morning and say, well, I haven't found that yet. Well, you're not deep enough yet. You need to come on a little deeper. What do you mean, Pastor? You need to get plugged into a life group. You need to get plugged into a Bible study on Wednesday nights. You need to get plugged in with a group of friends here at this church. You need to pull them in and give them access to your life. Next Sunday, I'm going to talk to you about the opportunity to sign up for growth groups. Those growth, those growth groups will meet in people's houses on, Wednesday, on Sunday nights, 
twice a month all over this community. From Sarah Land to Chickasaw, over to Westmobile, out around Sims, Wilmer. We're going to have them scattered out. There'll be a place where you can go and you can connect with somebody. We want to keep them small. You know, 12 to 15, 20 people at the max in a room. We want you to go and have a room of people that you can connect with and be friends with. With whom you can be honest and open and share your heart. Who will help you walk through everything. I'm going to introduce those group leaders tonight to our volunteer banquet group. I'm going to introduce them to you next Sunday morning here in this room. Give you an opportunity to connect with them. Everybody needs these three friends in their life. You need some friends that will call you up higher. And your growth group will do that. You need some friends that will strengthen your hand in God when the bottom falls out of your life. And there's some people in this church that will do that for you. I've watched them do it over the last few weeks as I've watched people in this church go through crisis. And I go in and people in their life group just keep showing up and showing up. You need people like that. You can find them. Are you willing to open up your heart and your life to others? Have you plugged in deeply enough to find them? You can. But more than anything else, Pastor, where do I start? You start with Jesus. You start by coming to Him this morning and saying, Lord, I'm going to come in prayer and I'm going to get honest with you. Some of us were taught some very bad things about prayer. We were taught it had to sound a certain way. We were taught there were certain things you don't say to God. You shouldn't be disrespectful to God, but can I tell you today, as long as it's honest and genuine and true, there's nothing you can't say to the Lord. Come, pour your heart out to Jesus. He will meet you here, and he'll pull you out. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you today for the people in this room. I thank you for the friendships in this room. Lord, I thank you for the depth of this church. I thank you for the groups and the connections and the classes and the studies and the groups of guys and girls that meet together informally outside of here. I thank you for the phone calls and the cards and the visits that happen all through this week because people in this room go and love each other deeply. And I pray that those connections would only get stronger and deeper over the next few weeks and months. Lord, I pray that as we launch these groups, everyone in this church would be able to boast and say, I have found my group of friends. I have found my Nathans and my Jonathans and my, my Samuels. I found the people that are going to walk with me through life and help me. Lord, I pray today... For the one in this room who walked in feeling like that message a few minutes ago said, they're in the dark, they're in a cave, they feel like they've been cast off and shoved aside. And this morning they need to be reminded of your love and your grace and your strength in their lives. I pray this morning as we close with a song, they would come and just let somebody take a moment and strengthen their hand in God and remind them of God's promises and pray until they feel God's presence again, encouraging and sustaining them through it all. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Let's sing to the Lord today. If you need to come and pray for just a moment, you need to be encouraged. You to the Lord, the altar's open. If you don't know Jesus and you need to meet him for the first time, come on, come on. Let's introduce you to him. He'll be your friend when everyone else walks out. And he'll introduce you to some friends that stick closer than a brother. Would you pray with me? Let's sing to the Lord. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at the Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.